I have a very special guest today, Professor Rishikesha Krishnan, who is the director of the Indian Institute of Management, Bangalore. Rishi has been listed in the Thinkers 50 India of the most influential management thinkers from India and has written two books, Eight Steps to Innovation, Going from Jugaad to Excellence, which won the Best Book Award for 2013-14 from the Indian Society for Training and Development, and From Jugaad to Systematic Innovation, The Challenge for India. Professor Krishnan was a member of the expert committee set up by the Government of India in 2017-18 under the chairmanship of Justice B.N. Shri Krishna to propose a data protection framework for India. He has been on the jury of the Economic Times Startup Awards. He is currently on the advisory board of Your Nest Investment Advisors. He is a strategist, innovator and teacher. I'm talking with Rishi about sleep challenges among college students. This episode is packed with his bold beliefs that is deeply linked to the belief that every human has the right to their own belief system. I'm so excited to have him here today. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer Podcast. Great to have you, Rishi, on the Sleep Whisperer podcast. And uh, it's uh, you, IIM is such a pedigree institution, and I've actually had a lot of guests who have been from IIM. So it's definitely something remarkable for our listeners to have the director of IIM talk to us about his journey. So take me through before we get to anything to do with sleep. And of course, today we are talking about sleep disorders and challenges and how that can affect and impact college students both physiologically and psychologically but before we get to all of that how about you just take us through your journey of what was your interest this passion for academics that you uh, stayed with academics how did you end up along this path why Bangalore why IIM and how what are you most thrilled about on this journey in this field okay well first thank you Deepa for inviting me to be part of this and I'm indeed happy to speak to you and of course to all, everyone else who is listening to this uh, well that's a tough question because I guess there are many twists and turns which happen along the way but I'll try to answer it in as simple a way as uh, possible. So I uh, started off with my schooling in Chennai. And when I completed school, I had the challenge of what should I do next? Uh, Like many other kids at that time, I wrote the IIT entrance exam and I 
got uh, not, a, not the best rank in the world, but a decent rank. And I had to then choose what I would uh, like to do uh, in IIT. So uh, I had a tough time choosing which discipline I wanted to pursue. And I ended up uh, choosing a physics integrated program at uh, IIT Kanpur uh, for multiple reasons. One was I didn't really know too much about engineering. Second, my father had a physics background, so he encouraged me to do physics. Anyway, for all these different reasons, I finally signed up for that course. Uh, but once I joined IIT as a physics student, this was IIT Kanpur. Uh, I realized that I'm really not that good at physics and perhaps won't be able to really pursue it for the rest of my life. So in fact, pretty early in my stay at Kanpur, I realized that uh, physics is not really for me and I need to find some other path to take. Uh, I was quite good at uh, organizational activities. I was active in the students' gymkhana. Uh, I was in fact doing lots of things other than studying. So. Finally, it looked like maybe management was the way to go. So after I completed my physics course, five-year course at IIT, I decided that um, it's time to say bye-bye to physics and to change direction. Um, I had few options at that point of time. I could have possibly gone to IIM to do an MBA. In fact, I actually got admission, uh, but I decided to go abroad to do a master's. Uh, again, there were multiple factors. People in our family felt that international exposure would be good. Uh, so I got admission to Stanford, which is a good university. So it seemed like a good opportunity. So finally, I ended up doing my master's in Stanford uh, in a subject called engineering economic systems, which was sort of halfway between uh, management and engineering. It was pretty quant oriented. But the kind of questions they were asking were more about management and the economy and things like that. Uh, I completed that program, the master's program at Stanford. And then, of course, I came to the next crossroads. Uh, my father at that point of time had his own company. So I thought maybe it's good to work with him. He was also keen that I should uh, work with him and see whether I liked it. So uh, unlike most of my other Indian classmates in the US, I came back immediately after completing my master's. I worked with my father for a few years, but uh, I just kind of realized that maybe that's not quite what I want to do in the long run. Uh, my father's company was quite technology oriented. I wasn't really a technology person. So, uh, I mean, again, cutting a few things out, but finally I decided maybe I should go back and study and uh, in, try to do a PhD, which was one of the things I had thought of in the US, but I hadn't pursued. So at, the, uh, at that point of time, I decided that rather than going back to the US, I'll do my PhD in India. So I uh, applied once again to IAM and I did my uh, a fellow program in management, which is equivalent to a PhD at uh, IAM Ahmedabad. Uh, after I completed that uh, in uh, 1996, uh, again, the question was once again, what to do next? And uh, so I decided that, you know, now that I have a PhD, I better use, put the PhD to good use. So I decided to stay in academia. I applied to IIM Bangalore for a job and I was lucky they selected me. And so I became a faculty member in IIM Bangalore in 1996. 
Well, so since then, I've sort of been there, though I've taken a few excursions outside. I am Bangalore as well. Uh, I was involved with a startup for a year in the year 2001. I spent some time on a research project at ISB in Hyderabad in 2011. I spent a few months in the US in 2008, but pretty much like a homing bird, I kept coming back to I am Bangalore along the way. Uh, the other big uh, jump I took was in 2014. I went as the director of one of the other IAMs, the IAM in Indore. Uh, I got selected to that position in late 2013. I joined there in January 2014 and I was the director for five years. I completed my tenure and uh, I, of course, had the option of uh, putting up my name for a second term. But I decided I didn't want to do that. So I came back to I am Bangalore, rejoined my job as a professor. And uh, sometime then in uh, April this year, that is April 2020, I got selected as the next director of I am Bangalore. So though I took several excursions uh, outside I am Bangalore, uh, I kept uh, coming back to IMB and uh, in uh, April this year, in April 2020, I got selected as the next uh, director of IM Bangalore. So this has broadly been uh, the sequence of events as far as my career progression is concerned. Uh, through all of this, I've had some academic interests. One of the main academic interests has been in the management of innovation. So that's something I have worked on right since my PhD days. In fact, even a little before that. Even when I was a graduate student in the US, I had an interest uh, in that area. So I've continued to work on that. I've written a couple of books. One book was published in 2010, which looked at uh, what are some of the challenges India as a country faces in supporting innovation and what can be done to change things or make things better. And the second was a book which focused on how companies can develop innovation capabilities. And that I wrote with a friend and colleague Vinay Dabolkar in uh, 2013. So both of these books, of course, also helped me connect with a larger audience. And uh, a lot of my courses and teaching have been connected with the work I did for these two books. Apart from that, I've written, I, I've written and I continue to write lots of articles in the media, on my blog, uh, for different uh, publications and so on. And that's been an ongoing activity that I've really enjoyed. So I think this is broadly what uh, I've been doing all these years. So have you in all these times and in this long journey ever had phases where you've not prioritized sleep? That's a good question. Um, well, first of all, I'm quite lucky that I normally feel sleepy. Uh, I'm not one of those people who stays up long hours at night. In fact, if at all, I have the opposite problem. I start feeling very sleepy quite <laughs> early. And uh, therefore, going to sleep has never been a big problem for me. In fact, uh, these, even these days, I start feeling sleepy sometimes even at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., 9.30, 10 o'clock. 
I rarely stay awake beyond 11. In fact, if I have to stay awake late, I find it quite difficult. Of course, on the flip side, I do get up quite early in the morning. Uh, for example, this morning I got up, uh, you know, I think before 5.30. So that's usually the case. I get up 5, 5.30. So sometimes I have problems in that I get up too early, but I never have a problem in going to sleep. So I want to ask you that now you have been uh, in IIM Bangalore for quite a while and even before you were the director, but so you've obviously been observing student life and maybe they are very different from how you were as a student and you probably seen all sorts of students while you're there and in the last decade what's interesting is that research has found that sleep quality among college students has dropped so badly that 60 percent of them suffer from insomnia and almost every hour of sleep that a college student loses one research found that about they had a 38% increased risk of just feeling low and about close to 60% risk for being more suicidal and these are very real dangerous challenges associated with poor sleep so what have you typically noticed while you're there as faculty, just describe, is there any way the university talks about these challenges? What is what happens in terms of if some if a student is depressed, having anxiety, is there support for that? So just talk us through sleep and stress in college life. Sure. Okay, L let me start by speaking a little about sleep itself. So one challenge students face, particularly when they come to an institute like IIM, is there is lots and lots of stuff to do. There is the academic part of the curriculum. There's a lot of club and other extracurricular activities. Plus there is fun and games in the hostel. Uh, we are a completely residential institution, so everyone stays in the hostel. And there are a lot of activities going on in the hostel till all odd hours of the night. Now, again, I think there are two categories of students. I think there are students who have lived in a hostel before and they already have certain routine they followed in their earlier hostel life. And if that routine is not too different from the routine at IAM, they fit into hostel life in IAM quite easily. But then there's the other group of students which has lived largely at home and is coming to a hostel for the first time. And I think they are the ones who perhaps have greater difficulty in adapting to the time schedule that operates uh, in IIM. What I understand from students is that a lot of activities in the hostel go on pretty late at night. For example, it's not unusual for them to have a club meeting or any other similar activity even at midnight. So I just wonder at what time that actually uh, gets over. So have you ever attended whole... anything like that? Uh, no, I haven't attended anything that late. I've attended uh, student activities after dinner, but not at uh, midnight and so on. No. So typically their schedule is very nocturnal. Uh, 
and it's therefore not a surprise that uh, in the class the next morning many of them look uh, quite uh, sleepy so i'm i'm not surprised because if i don't know exactly at what time they go to sleep but there's a good chance some of them go to sleep at 3 am 4 am whatever so if that's the time they go to sleep i really wonder how many hours of uh, sleep they get if i look at their overall biorhythm this seems to be quite good later in the day so if i look uh, i mean I, we normally have classes during the day but sometimes we have makeup classes or an extra class or something in the evening and i find then they are wide awake so clearly their so sleep flipped, schedule flipped their rhythm completely it looks like yeah to a large extent uh, that is true uh, of course uh, i think there are lots of conflicts within the hostel also i mean i think there are some students who don't adapt well to this rhythm they want to sleep early they want to maintain perhaps the same sleep cycle they followed earlier but because there's a lot of noise and activity and hustle and bustle in the hostel it's very difficult for them to do so even if they want to or if they're in sharing fact, room with somebody who is got that kind yeah, of so we are kind of uh, we are fortunate in iim that students have single rooms so i don't think sharing is a problem oh, okay but the way the hostel is structured you know there a lot of people in a block close to each other so i think there's a lot of noise and thing you know somebody might be playing loud music someone might be having a loud chat in the corridor so mm. i i don't think it's that easy to sleep uh, even if you uh, want to sleep in fact uh, this is not recent but some years ago we used to get a lot of complaints from international exchange students who came to bangalore from universities abroad Hmm. that they found the hostel very noisy and uh, they really wondered so what did the hostel actually try to do about that <laughs> okay yeah it's a good question so you also asked me some other questions about anxiety and all that i'll come to that yeah so we we certainly tried to speak to the students we uh, we tried to engage with them we did a lot of stuff to uh, you know basically persuade them to even if they are not sleeping early to let other people sleep but mm. i don't think we were very successful because the dominant culture in the hostel was to sleep very late and any efforts from our side to change that uh, to be honest i don't think they were very successful at all okay let me come to the other question you asked which is about anxiety and depression and so on now i don't know about the connections between a uh, lack of sleep and anxiety and depression but yes it is true that students do occasionally suffer from uh, anxiety related issues what uh, do you mean by uh, occasionally but what do you mean by occasionally i mean i i don't have exact statistics but some students sometimes uh, there might be statistics available but at least i don't have them readily available with me now i could probably find out and tell you what is the percentage of students who have uh, uh, reported such uh, problems uh, but what we do to support them is what uh, i think most institutions try to do we have uh, different levels of support we have student groups 
I think there's an organization called Mitra, which is essentially student counselors or student buddies who have been trained to help students in kind of immediate situations. Mm. So they are available in case somebody would like to talk to them or have a chat or something like that. Then we have counselors who are available, you know, by through prior appointment and students can sign up and meet them. Usually we try to have multiple counselors so that students can find which counselor suits them the best. And these counselors are available at different times so that students can meet them depending on their respective schedules. We try to also make sure that the counselors are located in places where students can meet them without having other students know about it because that's sometimes right. a concern to them. So we have, I think these are the typical support structures that we have in place but so has any of this been looked at with the connection to sleep because it is actually in universities abroad there has been research done which has found as i said that just one hour cumulative losing sleep every single day increased their uh, thoughts of suicide by 45% and actual attempts by about 58%. So um, there's definitely... So the honest answer is, honest answer is I don't know. Yes. I would have to talk to the counselors and find out. And the way our institutes are organized, the person who is in day-to-day -to -day touch with the students is the chair of the MBA program is one of my professor colleagues who is currently the chair and she would have a much better idea of uh, issues like this. I was the chair of the MBA program almost 18 years ago. So I can, I remember a little bit from my uh, detailed interaction with the students at that time, but today it's the current chair of the MBA program who would have best insights into that. Okay. So let's talk about even you as a professor and noticing, uh, as you said, they're more alert in the evening lectures versus morning lectures. So let's yeah. at least just talk about what you have been aware of, which is simply have you noticed how severe is the drop in efficiency and uh, the brain output? in terms of after a night of very poor sleep and you said you felt this biorhythm was different for them so uh, yeah. see the thing about circadian cycle is that while it's ideal that somebody sleeps after sunset wakes up at sunrise in a population which like college students is similar to shift workers so maybe they just find that they are better off uh, during the evenings and late into the night in which case they should be supporting their whole rhythm by getting that same level of sleep at a specific hour even if it were 2 a.m to 10 a.m. or something like yeah. that, which invariably that problem is not that. The problem is that their whole sleep itself reduces, including the number of hours as also yeah. the quality of sleep. So just talk about things that you've noticed as a professor teaching in the class and seeing that level of efficiency reduce due to this. 
Yeah. So uh, first of all, my suspicion, again, I don't have hard data. My of suspicion course. is that students are certainly not getting enough sleep. And that's just by talking to them and uh, understanding the schedule on which they work. So I, I noted what you said just now about, you know, it doesn't matter even if they get the sleep at a different time, as long as they get that chunk of sleep. But I doubt they're getting that chunk of sleep because uh, classes uh, in IAM start, well, we have one slot which starts at eight o'clock in the morning, but we try not to schedule too many classes at that time because we realize that students are not, uh, you know, at their best at that time. But the next slot starts at 10 o'clock and we have lots of classes which start at 10. But mm. uh, for many of the students, uh, if they have to attend a 10 o'clock class and if they've gone to sleep at, I don't know, 3.34 and so on, they would not have got that eight hour sleep, which you just uh, described. So uh, my, my guess is we can proceed on the assumption that quite a few of them are not getting uh, enough sleep. Uh, how does that manifest itself in the class? Well, it manifests itself in, in different ways. I think, uh, again, it's lot, there's a lot of individual variation. I think some students are just good at managing even with less sleep, particularly those who've been in hostels for a long time. I think they just know how to or they've adapted to that, you know, shorter duration of sleep, or maybe they get their sleep in parcels. Maybe they get five, six hours at night and they also manage to sleep an hour or two in the afternoon or some other time that's also possible. So it looks to me that different students manage that differently. Some of them seem alert enough, but one thing I can say for sure is that the class participation levels in terms of their engagement in a discussion tend to improve if it's better aligned with their rhythm. So for example, if you have a class in the late afternoon or evening, which is better aligned with their uh, sleep rhythm, you're likely to have more enthusiastic participation, more questions, more discussion, things like that. And here I'm talking more at an aggregate level. Right. So tell me, let's talk a little bit about alcohol on campus life and uh, the impact of alcohol on this whole rhythm. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, uh, see, our institute is a postgraduate institute. So people are at least typically 21, 22, and many of them are older, 24, 25. The official rules of the Institute, of course, don't uh, allow students to drink in the hostel. But you know, Bangalore is Bangalore. There are plenty of places you can go and drink if you want to. And nowadays, I think pubs and I mean, not in the COVID time, but otherwise, pubs and so on are open quite late. So I don't think there's any uh, difficulty in uh, drinking if you want to. Uh, I must confess at this point of time, I have no uh, accurate data on how much people drink and when they drink and so on. Because they're postgraduate students, we also don't interfere too much in their personal lives. So we don't monitor what they are doing too much. Uh, in an undergrad program, I think there's much closer scrutiny of what people are doing, but not in a postgraduate program. So, I mean, I can, I, I mean, you, you know that better than I do that I, I'm sure if you 
are drinking a lot it will only make your sleep problems worse i mean that's a right. safe enough assumption but uh, it at least it doesn't visibly come into play uh, on campus that's what i can say i mean there, there are there are i think generic sleep issues but i'm not sure to what extent alcohol plays a role in uh, either accentuating or uh, otherwise uh, affecting that okay so let's just say that suppose you were uh, you would like to establish some guidelines at iim bangalore to educate students about the importance of sleep and circadian rhythm and how it can benefit them physiologically with improved efficiency better brain function better energy levels the, think about how would you go about establishing some sort of guidelines to support student life with better sleep but our students in general you know being mba students they are quite analytical characters uh, they do uh, get influenced by data they get influenced by rational arguments logic things like that many of them are engineers so they have that sort of engineering way of looking at things so for example if you were to have something like a video which showed you know how a person's alertness may be varied over time depending on how much they had slept or you had any other kind of data let's say you had a good graph which showed uh, alertness and depending on you know sleep patterns and so on i think at least at a rational uh, analytical level they would be influenced by that so that's a, at least with our student body that's a good uh, starting point maybe also if you were to show some correlation between people who slept better and their performance uh, our guys are very competitive they're all trying to get the best jobs and you know work with the best companies and getting a good uh, cgpa is one of the important uh, parameters that they are all worried about so if one were to show them any data that people who slept better actually performed better i think they would be uh, influenced by that as well of course i'm not sure it's necessarily true but we'd have to see whether that's actually true uh, because it's quite possible that some people in spite of less sleep actually do well so but if there were evidence in that direction i think it would be a good starting point as far as trying to influence them about the importance of sleep but as uh, do you think universities in india are equipped to be talking to students about this for example just the fact that there are uh certain um, meetings in the middle of the night doesn't really speak about supporting sleep optimally so first of all my concern is why should there be um meetings are scheduled at midnight so are there not rules to enforce that it has to be only from this window to that window leaving aside a yeah, safe deepa i think deepa 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 i think you you have to also uh, grapple with the fact that you know we are dealing with adults here they have fundamental rights they have right. the right to sleep when they want they have the right to meet when they want uh, 
the constitution of india guarantees freedom of association no you can't i think interfere with people beyond a point you can certainly advise them you can tell them what good practices are but i don't think we are in the business of uh, telling people how exactly they should lead their life so at least that's particularly in a graduate institution again i, I would just uh, uh, put that caveat if you are dealing with people right. who are 16 or 17 years old story might be different when you are dealing with people who are 24 and 25 year old the story is quite different so are so there I ever classes scheduled like that to go and put rules saying that you can't meet i, I think but just to wait no no there are no classes late at night okay and uh, also say that uh, uh, one thing i i must mention here though i i mentioned earlier my colleague who is the chair of the mba program so i do doing something along the lines of what you are mentioning she has certainly been discouraging them from having late night meetings okay All but remember right. a lot of these meetings are not formal meetings which are sort of mandated are run by the students i mean it's a student activity the right. institute supports right. them but essentially a student activity right so uh, just uh, tell me quickly how Can, would you uh, how so would you uh, persuasion is probably a good way of trying to influence this that's that would be my take yeah that's a good point actually so so you're saying that there are no formal structured classes it is more that it's from community building and engaging activities which keep them up that's right yeah that's right so let's just say that if you were to put uh, your university through a little awareness program on how sleep can improve their quality of learning how might you go about that so i think we would have to talk to the student uh, groups first because my experience is that they understand each other much better and if you want to do something where you are in any way trying to influence student behavior it's better to have volunteers from the student community itself so i think we should reach out to the student we have a student council one perhaps needs to start by having a discussion with them on sleep sleep patterns and how these patterns might influence their behavior and academic performance and so on they might have several interesting ideas on how this get a good influencers uh, what's the process through which something like this might work so i would certainly start by talking to the student council and getting their uh, support or their interest and then using that to try and influence the other students Oh, excellent point yeah for sure so quickly rishi before we conclude um tell me now there are 
worldwide today about 100 million people with diagnosed sleep disorders so and i'm talking about actual diagnosis ranging from sleep apnea so there's then sleep onset challenges which means they can't fall asleep sleep maintenance challenges which means they sleep and then they wake up they're unable to sustain deep sleep and this is not going anywhere near a large section of the population who's probably would never have even thought of getting a diagnosis for just not sleeping well and being up and lots and lots of challenges like that. So what do you feel typically? I know that you said you have no problem with sleep. You sleep really well. But in your mind, if you were to look at Apart from student life, just uh, globally, what would you think was the biggest root cause of this growing sleep challenge? Well, I, I'm not sure I can speak about what's happening globally, but I can certainly speak about a few things in India. Uh, what I see as here is that, first of all, people are trying to do in a way, far too many things. And a lot of this is driven by the way they work and the way they sort of live at home. Particularly in a city like Bangalore, we find many people working for global companies and cutting across different time zones. So mm. it's not at all unusual for people to be having calls with their counterparts in other countries that you know, maybe 11 p.m. midnight, because that's a suitable time for their colleagues in other countries. So I find that people, particularly the professional group working in a city like Bangalore, they seem to have very strange and extended working hours. Part of it is the working day in India, then there's the working day uh, outside India. So all of this really extends the number of hours in the day. Right. Second is the number of things they do has also gone up. I mean, for example, you look at something like all these uh, various streaming video channels that are available, whether you look at you know, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hotstar, whatever it may be. So I find a lot of people spend a lot of time watching that stuff as well. So there's the long work day, then there is the video streaming that they are watching maybe for another couple of hours, I don't know. And, and it looks like many people do because when you talk to them, everyone seems to be familiar with the latest show or the latest right. film. So it appears that quite a few of them have been watching all of that. Then of course, they are, many of them, particularly during this crisis, they have had domestic responsibilities so i mean in short what i see as a challenge is that the number of hours of the day they have to keep awake for different activities seems to be quite many and they seem to be fitting in sleep in whatever gaps are available uh, it's quite interesting if you take uh, maybe again maybe not so relevant now during the coronavirus time but otherwise if you take a domestic flight in India, even if it's a two hour flight, you'll mm. find 70, 80% of the people on the flight sleeping. They are not reading, they're not doing anything. They're all catching up on sleep. Even if it's, yeah. uh, I'm not even talking about a late night flight. I'm just talking about a flight in the daytime. 
that's yeah. because they all have a sleep deficit so my, my i'm just speculating that clearly the lifestyle both in work and uh, at home is making it more and more difficult for people to get that 7-8 hour uninterrupted sleep which you were so correctly advocating and that seems to be the biggest barrier to my mind at least among the educated middle class i'm not talking about others who maybe have to do physical labor and other right. other challenges but about this this group this seems to be a big challenge that they face so let's just say supposing you had a job like this which involved you needing to be awake for both india time and time somewhere else how would you uh, personally how would you manage that given that you said that you feel <laughs> sleepy by 8 pm itself so maybe that's why i'm not in that job <laughs> that's all i can say yeah uh, good answer but i you know i think having said that i think uh, there is space for organizations i mean you asked this question in the iim context which is a fair question but yeah. i think you could equally well ask this question in a corporate context uh, to how much attention are they paying to these kind of problems I, i'm not yeah. sure they're paying enough attention many companies are not very sensitive to this they schedule calls at any time that's convenient to some boss sitting in some part of the world and uh, i think it's considered bad form to say i can't join the call at that time whereas companies should perhaps be more sensitive to these issues i mean that's you know rishi i mean i i wouldn't i wouldn't survive in that that kind <laughs> of an environment for even a month i think yeah no but actually i did have a discussion with somebody else in uh, who has a job like this and it's uh, in that whole space it's very common what you said uh, that people it's considered in poor form but it's almost that people in that space wear stress and poor sleep like a badge of honor so it's it can mm. almost become important and there was a guest on another episode and he actually said that at meetings people actually say proudly that they have attended that with a, after a night of absolutely no sleep and he was in fact dissuading people from having that thought process in um, their their whole life so relevant point but before i let you go i ask all my guests to just complete a sentence which if sleep is the new medicine then how would you complete that sentence sleep is the new medicine then i think you're in big trouble <laughs> Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Great pleasure having you, and uh, I hope some university students can get some information which will help them from this. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, everyone. 
everyone i hope you enjoyed the show just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only this is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional this information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services if you are looking for personal help On your health journey do seek out a medical practitioner please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional it is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding if you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro It is important that you have someone who's qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care especially when it comes to chronic health conditions.